0: and welcome once again uh, to Christ Community Presbyterian Church. We're glad that you're here worshiping with us this morning. We are uh, finishing a very brief uh, series on worship itself. Um, You know, there's lots of things we could have said about worship. uh, And it was, uh, we didn't talk about all the nuts and bolts of worship and the various elements of worship. um, But we're thinking more about the the way worship shapes us and how we're called to be worshipers. Um, and so in the very first uh, sermon, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, we looked at, thinking about the one who is to be worshipped, the great uh, lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. We looked at that passage from Revelation 19, the conquering king uh, and the, the bridegroom of Christ and how everyone gathered around that glorious throne to give him all glory, honor and praise. Last week, we focused on A heart that desires worship. That movement that we have by looking at Psalm 84 and the longing of the psalmist to enter worship and how we can help encourage our hearts to desire uh, worship and to move towards worshiping God. Um, Arguing all along that we are fundamentally worshipers, whether we worship the living God or other things, we are fundamentally uh, worshipers. Finally, this week... Um, I want us to look at Ephesians 3, uh, verses 14 to 21. It, you, can look, uh, you can open there in your Bibles or uh, turn there in your bulletins. Um, we're going to be looking at Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. In this uh, amazing passage, um, uh, we have a prayer. We have the heart of Paul for the, the church in Ephesus um, and we have this glorious doxology at the end. Uh, Paul breaks out into worship. Um, and so we'll see all of that. And I want us to think about as we examine this prayer paul's heart for that Ephesian church, I, I want to think about what it means for God to transform us into worshipers of Jesus Christ. And so to do that let's turn to the text now. we'll read it um, to get I'll, I'll read it to you Ephesians 3 verses 14 and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you call us uh, to be worshipers of you, the living God, that you make a way for us to come into your presence and to worship you. And Lord, there is a day coming when we will see you face to face. And so even now, as we think about what it means to be worshipers of you, fill us, Lord, with a great love and affection. Fill us by your spirit, with all the joy of knowing that you are our Savior, uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. How would you describe your family to someone? And, and I don't necessarily mean like the facts, like, well, my wife's name is Erin, I have three kids. Um, I, don't, I don't necessarily mean those sorts of nuts and bolts details, but I'm talking about your, your family's character their personality, and you know what I mean when I say that, because it, uh, what is that, got, that uh, great painting, um, American Gothic, right, where you have the farmers sitting there, yep, uh, they look alike, and that sort of happens with families, they start to, they start to shape an identity of, of themselves, um, and, and so what is the personality of your church, and I realize not every one of you is married and has kids, but think about your own families that you grew up in, um, what, what were they like, Um, now it's obviously, it's a compilation of many values and passions. And I'm going to just share, uh, just one little thing that forms us as the gray family, Aaron and and the kids and I, and I'm sure we inherit it from our parents to a degree too as part of their shaping of us. But, you know, we formed it in our own way. Um, and this is, you know, even before Aaron and I had children, um, we loved to read. It was just part of who we were. We loved to collect books. We'd go to bookstores and book sales and, you know, all those library sales. Those were like the, the joy, our greatest delight was to go and find treasures in, in those great library sales. And even before we had kids, we were collecting children's books. And then we were just excited about, about having children and teaching them to read. And then once our children came along, the books just seemed to multiply in our house. And they cover almost every wall where there isn't a picture. There just seems to be bookshelves. We're constantly building bookshelves and buying bookshelves off of Craigslist and everything else. And filling those bookshelves. And there's still books that are stacked up on tables and desks. And there's books in bins. And there's books on uh, every surface of the house. Books that we trip over. Um, They're everywhere. We love books. And we taught our kids You know, to read, and day one we were reading to them. And I think for the past 11 years of having children, just about every single day, our kids get read to. Not so much thanks to me, probably more thanks to Aaron, but our kids get read to every day for 11 years, just about. Um, Suffice it to say that we all now, all our kids and all of us, love to read. It's part of what defines our family our home is filled with books. Now, I say that because we're going to look at Paul's prayer here. His greatest desire and longing um, comes at the end of, the, uh, of verse 19, you might say, uh, is sort of the culmination of his prayer. He says, "...and that they may know, or you may be filled with all the fullness of God." This was his heart for the church, that they would be filled with the fullness of God. And we'll look at what that means uh, in particular. Um, And and I want to parse that out. But at the outset, I just want us to think in terms of us as a church, as a family, of being defined by that reality, of being those who are being filled by the fullness of God. And, And what I would say, and this comes back to my point about worship, Is that I think at the very heart of worship, at the the very essence of it, is a people of God who are filled with the fullness of Christ, who declare his praise, long to be with him and to worship him and to acknowledge him as the great and living God. Um, I'll look at this in three parts, and I'm going to tell you at the outset that this is not, there's going to be a little sort of extended application. to you all as the church family, and I, I call it a sort of a pastoral privilege that I'm going to take. Um, so if you're, you're here for the first time, um, I, this, is, this is uncommon to, to happen within the context of the worship service. But the three points are this, being filled with the fullness of God is for all of God's people. That's point one. And subpoint is the pastoral plea, which is going to be preparing our covenant kids to be filled with the fullness of God. And what does that look like? And then number two is being filled with the fullness of God to see Jesus, to see Christ. It's kind of getting at the heart of what it means to be full of God. And then in conclusion, being filled with the fullness of God leads us to worship. This is where Paul ends in this great uh, exaltation. So first, being filled with the fullness of God is for all. Of God's people Paul opens his prayer for the Ephesians by saying he gets on his knees one commentator noted that prayer was often done standing, but that prayers of you know prayers of uh, confession of sin and that sort would have been done in a more a posture of kneeling and it seems like Paul is sort of going to the Lord with great sort of longing and he goes before his God on his knees and he prays that the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, would answer these prayers. So what is the context of Paul's prayer? Well, the context of Paul's prayer is that he's been talking about um, revealing the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ to both the Jew and to the Gentile. Those who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. They're no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens in the household of God. It's that coming together of Jew and Gentile that kind of defined that early church. We went through the book of Acts a few years ago, and we looked at uh, how that sort of divide was a, sort of, it was a constant theme. And here in this prayer, he says, God is the father of every family in heaven and on earth kind of the language here. Um, now, there's one sense which is, this is true. God is the father of all. He's, he's God. He created all things. All things are from him and to him. And so every human being on the face of the planet, in some sense, owes uh, uh, that to him as the father. But I think here in the context of Ephesians, it's particularly talking about those who profess faith in the living God that are coming from Vastly different worlds from Jewish world and Gentile world coming together in the church as the worshiping body of Christ. Okay, so Paul is saying this father of us all, of every family, whether you are Jew or Gentile, this father of us all, that's the one to whom I'm praying. So that's the, the context of Paul's prayer. He's thinking inclusively, if you will. He's praying that this Ephesus church that faced this divide, maybe a little bit between Jew and Gentile, would recognize that they are one. So I don't think that's our context, right? We're not Jew and Gentile. But there is a sense in which we do come from different places. We have different backgrounds. We are, uh, the body of Christ is made up of various parts. And I want us to think about this in terms of Is our prayer, is our heart in line with Paul that we would all be filled with the fullness of God? I think we would all agree that's something every Christian should be filled with. Um, And on an intellectual level, I think we would agree that. But I want to check my heart on this, and I want to check your heart on this. Um, And again, I'm thinking particularly in terms of worship. This place where God indeed fills us, which he's ordained to have us come together uh, to bless us and renew us and restore us. I want to think about it in those terms. And here's the blunt question. Do I want everyone here? Here with us in worship. Do I want difficult and messy people here? They're hard to deal with. This is, for me as a pastor, I have to think hard about this because I know that after service, sometimes I get, you know, people that have issues come to me and they, and and that's my job and I love it. But there are days where I'm like, I just want to crawl away. I just want to go away. Do I want them here? Oh, that person walked in the door and I'm like, I don't know. I have the energy for this. Do I want them here? Yeah, that's every, no, I'm just kidding. it's It's just a theoretical. Um. Do I want people here who are messy? Do I want people here who've sinned against me in some way? I've got an issue with somebody. Do I want them here worshiping with me? Do I want people here who are physically or mentally disabled? Are we a church that makes that possible? I think that's a serious question that we have to wrestle with. Do I want folks I disagree with theologically, politically, or just generally disagree with, do I want them here to be filled with the fullness of God? Do I want the rich here? Do I want the poor here? Do I want... Noisy and disruptive children here. It's very quiet. No <laughs> children. I was hoping like a kid would cry out at that moment, but if we believe that it is in and through and by the worship of God that we are indeed filled. We should desire that everyone would be here. Unbelievers come in and stream, and that would be wonderful, that that this will be a place that God meets with us and transforms us and changes us. And this is where I want to take a moment of pastoral privilege, a pastoral plea, if you will. I want to think about our covenant children particularly. Um, I used to be a, a great sleeper. Since having children, my ability to go to sleep and stay asleep is greatly diminished. I think, uh, you know, you were trained as the, they were really wee little babies that you got up every so often in the middle of the night. You kind of lose that ability to just kind of crash and sleep for eight, ten hours. But it's more than that. One thing that keeps me up at night is the fear that my children will walk away from the faith. I spent six years before becoming a pastor doing youth ministry, um, and I saw my fair share of covenant children walk away from the faith. I've spent many hours grieving and praying with parents whose children have walked away from the faith. I know some of you know this pain intimately and personally. Firstly, I'd just like to say I believe God is sovereign. It is his power and grace alone that saves any of us. And so it is right that we, like Paul here, get on our knees and pray that we will be filled with the fullness of God and that we pray that our children would be filled with the fullness of God, that his spirit would dwell in them. And being a parent is the most humbling and terrifying training ground. For trusting in God. Period. I, I I say that of course as somebody who hasn't experienced all the trials of life, and I say that with all those caveats, but I I can't tell you how terrifying it is to be a parent. If you you. And I and I would like to say God is sovereign that Ultimately, He's the one who changes the heart. And though our children may wander away for a time, He can bring them home. And I believe that with all my heart. He is full of grace and mercy. Full of it. He's made promises to His people and to their children. And we can cry out and we can cling to those. But it is a truly terrifying place to be. It's a place of trust. Having said that, God is sovereign, and he's the one who changes the child's heart. We as a church family have a responsibility to our kids. Parents, you have a special responsibility. And so the question is for us, how do we best help our children grow up Grow up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We've taken those vows as a church when a child comes and he's or she is baptized. You all promise, "Yes, I'll do that." And then we think, "How? How do we do that?" Well, there are many different philosophies on this, but I want to suggest to you a philosophy that is grounded in this idea that we are fundamentally worshipers. That's who we are. It is who we are from day one. And throughout our days on this earth, our hearts are being shaped to worship. Now, we are also products of modernistic enlightenment thought. And we often think that the greatest shaping force in life is information. If we simply give our kids all the reasons why God is worthy of worship, they'll hopefully agree and become worshipers. Friends, we are much more than thinkers. We are feelers. We are aesthetic beings. We are beings of ritual and practice. Our whole life, our whole being is, is, is engaged in the world that we live in. Going back to the house I described, that our house is its all the books. The presence of all those books lining the walls, stacked on the counters, etc., you know, standing on the tables being tripped over. Um, the very presence of those books creates a space in which the subtext, the unstated message is to my children and to us on a daily basis is books are important. You know, in the day, age of digital, I don't really need to buy books. I could just go on Amazon and get my Kindle stuff and buy all our books online and, save paper and do good in that way and there's there's good reason for that but at a very sort of significant point in our sort of thinking Aaron and I were like we want books to be seen and we want great books to be seen and so we call and curate the library and put what we think are good books and get new books and get rid of all the bad books that's just what we do but if I were to say to my kids listen books are really really important And I never read them a story. But I said every single day, you know, books are really important. But I didn't have any books on the wall. Books are really, really important, but they're not for you. They're for me. I don't think my kids would be readers. And so it is with worship. Training is in the home, firstly. beginning at the at the start it begins by us worshiping at home and what does it look like what does it look like for us to be worshipers in the home it looks like talking about the things of God talking about God pointing to the glories of God and his creation it means walking alongside kids and understanding pain and grief and sorrow in relationship to God all of the things that we do and say having that orientation towards worshiping the living God Brothers and sisters it means delighting yourself in God. Do we do we do that? It means grieving over our sins in their presence grieving over their sins. And then it also means honestly repenting and seeking forgiveness and offering forgiveness. It means picturing the gospel to them in this way that everything is oriented towards looking to God and looking and resting in Christ. It means starting to order our lives around different rhythms. God has set in place, a one-in-seven rhythm for life, right? Every single week we come here, we gather, we worship, we go out. What are the rhythms at home that we set in place? And it is in those rhythms and those practices and that talking that our kids, even before they cognitively understand, start to see this thing as important, this worship of God, this person in the Lord Jesus Christ. And while it's no guarantee of faith, because again, the only guarantee of faith is the power of the living God working in their life. It is the formation creating the vessels that God will fill, if you will. right, Giving them the rudiments of the language of our faith so that they can understand as they grow. Now, I know there's a second thing here. It's not just in the home. It continues here at CCPC. We, this session, have made it a point to encourage our kids to worship, even when they can't cognitively grasp what's being said. Now, I understand that that we have accommodations, right? We have a children's church, and we have nursery. We recognize that it's hard to have kids, especially very, very young kids, uh, in the worship service, and they need some level of accommodation. But our goal is not for them to be shaped in those places, but it's to see them be able to grow to a place where they can come and be with us and be shaped, not necessarily by the words that we're saying, though that will come but by everything else, by our love. And that's really where it begins. It begins with our longing and our desire to worship. If we act bored or disinterested or place our priorities on other things, our kids will, period. If we don't see this as something significant, our kids will not see this as something significant, period. And the things we say and do, the actions, our posture. If we act like their kids are a hassle, and that we want to worship, but we want them out of worship, that also communicates something. It says, this area is not for you. Worship is not for you. What you need is to play. You do that long enough, eventually, those kids will get the picture, worship is not for me. You've said it over and over again by this action of saying, get away from me, you're bothering me. I don't want you here with me. Forming our kids into vessels in which God can fill them is really hard work, isn't it? It's a challenging thing. My kids love to read, going back to this, this picture. But, it, but it's taken years of formally teaching them their ABCs. The ritual of reading to them means spending time in the evenings when I'd rather be doing other things sometimes. And, um, it means doing the hard work. It means telling them, you know, for every one Harry Potter you read, please read something of great value. right? Um, we do that, right? To to their chagrin. They're like, but this is boring. I don't want to read whatever. Little House on the Prairie. I don't know. Whatever seems boring in their mind. We force them. We say, nope, you're going to read this. And when it comes to forming them for worship, it's hard work. It means sacrificing for a period of time your own ability to worship freely. You have to work with them, both in the midst of worship and at home. That means time and energy and All of that. It means tempering expectations. It's a process. Your kid, if they're under the age of three or two or four or whatever, they're going to sit and they are going to make noise and they're going to want stuff and they're going to want to go to the bathroom and they are going to be a problem there. And you're going to have to bear with them. They're still, you're going to say, okay, we're just going to work on sitting. And then we'll work on standing. And then we'll work on sitting and standing, basically, the various times. And after that, maybe we'll we'll talk about Jesus. And we'll just, like, look at the word Jesus. And every time you hear the word Jesus, make a mark on this piece of paper. These are real basic things. It takes time. And it means you are distracted. And that's hard because we want to worship. We have to think about it as sacrifice. The Lord, this is His whole purpose in coming, is to lay down His life for us. And in a similar way, we do the same with our children, encouraging them to worship. I know I've heard worship is boring. It's too geared for adults. Kids don't like it. (laughs) There's a lot of things kids don't like. They don't like to eat vegetables. I didn't like to eat meat as a kid. I didn't have the choice. My parents made me eat meat. Is that normal? I don't know. (laughs) But we feed them what is necessary for them to grow up into healthy eaters. And again, it's not about cognitively grasping content here. We have a Sunday school program for our kids, and that's good. It's the setting that they can begin to fill out the knowledge of God at a level they can understand. But it's about forming them through practice. About shaping them and that is where the rest of the church family so i 've been speaking to parents i 'm going to just speak briefly to the church family. You all have an opportunity to take your vows seriously to assist the parents in their labors because it 's hard work, and we need you. grandparents that are here you have it you have it this is like this is like your, you, you know, your wheelhouse you 've done it for. Generations Come alongside the young parents. You see a disruption in the church, go alongside and just encourage the parents. Say, hey, can I sit with you? Can I help you? Is there something I can do to kind of just take some weight off of you that I can take? Yeah, that's, the, that's the nature of the body. Young families and single folk and people without kids. and You have an opportunity to get trained in what it might be like to have kids day. If you're single and you don't have the prospect of having kids, see it as an opportunity to be an aunt or an uncle and say, I can, I can love on people in a new way, to come alongside them and help them in worship. Sit with families. Talk with them before and after the service. Help them to learn the rhythms and ABCs of worship. Ask parents if you can help in any way. And I just want to say, as a session, you're, you're hearing my heart. As a session... This is not just my heart. It's how we see fit to best encourage the growth of our children in the faith. We have a children's church that is very basic, going through the basic rhythms. That's it. And it seems boring to the kids. Well, you know, it's a step from here to there. Eventually, as they learn the forms, it'll move from being boring. And part of that is on us to make it something exciting. But but I just want to say that as a session, we, we are moving forward in this model. And I don't expect everyone to agree with the approach. And I'd be more than happy to sit down with anyone and discuss it. But we believe that we are working to shape our kids to be worshipers. If you simply need help as a parent, we want to help. Talk to us. All right, there, there you go. That's, that's a long, I have about five minutes. I'm just going to set that, my pastoral stuff aside and kind of move back to the text. We're being filled. That's what God is doing. He's filling us with the fullness of God. That's Paul's prayer. And he's filling us with the fullness of God. And, and at the heart of this is that we would see Jesus Christ. The text uh, here moves into these three petitions or four petitions really i put the fourth petition being filled as sort of the all encumber, all encompassing one um, but there are three other petitions the first is that his prayer is that uh, according to the riches of his glory that great storehouse he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that christ may dwell in your hearts through faith It's a prayer for all of us as worshipers to be strengthened by the indwelling work of the Spirit. And this is great encouragement, right? To know that that though I am weak, He is strong. Though I don't desire always to worship God, that He dwells in me and he He is working at pricking my own heart to love Him more. And it's interesting here because it is a prayer for a church that presumably already has folks who are indwelt, by the Spirit, who have been regenerate. But his prayer is that in some way that the Spirit would continue to fill the heart with his presence, strengthening and encouraging uh, the, the believer. But then he quickly moves from this idea of strengthening through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to this call to be rooted and grounded in love. Um, to be rooted and grounded in love. There's two sort of side-by-side pictures here. One of a tree planted uh, with its roots going deep down, and the other is a picture of a building being firmly stood. Uh, And what is it being firmly stood on? What are the roots going down in? It's grounded and rooted in love. And here particularly, I think it's the love of the believer, right? He's going to look in a moment at knowing the love of Christ, but here he's talking about the love of the believer, And I think fundamental to being a worshiper and being filled with the fullness of God is to be filled with love, to have it be that thing that just emanates from who we are and spills out, right? We're told that we will that you will know a Christian by their love. Throughout, even in Jesus' high priestly prayer, his prayer that they would be one, that love of Christ would be manifest in them just as he and the Father are one. In 1 John, if the love of Christ is not in them, if they don't love one another, how can the love of God be in them? That's the the sort of conundrum. Because love is part of being filled with the fullness of God. It's having a heart for others. And then thirdly, not just being filled and being rooted but it is knowing and understanding with all the saints, saints, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. We love because He first loved us. And you get this picture of, understanding the love of Christ in its in its length and in its breadth and in its height and in its depth it's like that building that was grounded in love it but it's now it's trying to measure the love of God and all its dimensions and coming out to a length and a breadth and a height and a depth that is beyond measurement that is incomprehensible his prayer is that we would so see Christ that we would say oh the love of God for me a sinner me who worshipped the, the creation rather than the creature. He loved me and he died for me and he laid his life down for me. Who can measure that kind of love? Being a worshiper first means seeing the love of Christ. And then he ends with this. To know the love of Christ... That surpasses knowledge, right? Something we don't even comprehend. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, that's it. As we start to get shaped and formed as worshipers, we start to see the wonders of His glory as the Spirit dwells in us and changes us from one degree of glory to another going from strength to strength as we start to see the love of Christ for us and we reach out and love to one another because of what he's done we are being filled with the fullness of Christ this is a prayer that goes beyond what we could ask for to be filled to the fullness of God I don't the, the commentators are, are torn on what exactly this means. What does it mean to be filled with the fullness of God? Well, does it mean to be sort of filled with all His grace and all His blessing and all the benefits of God? Or does it actually mean in some mysterious way that we are filled with the perfection of God as He's transforming us and as He dwells in our hearts that He overwhelms us with His very being? I, I don't know. The answer to, to that in my estimation is yes to both of those things. It's an an overwhelming prospect that happens over the course of an eternal time frame with the Lord. As we go from one degree of glory to another, as we enter into the presence of God, we have all of life to be filled and overflowing with the glorious wonder of who God is in the person of Jesus Christ. It's It's a prayer request that goes beyond our comprehension. And so... Paul ends with this thought. He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. This was like Paul reaching at what can I think of the greatest prayer request ever to ask God? I want to be filled with you. And he says, You can do more. You can do more. Friends, we are powerless to save our kids. We are powerless to build ourselves up into worshipers. We are powerless to fill ourselves to overflowing. But God is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think according to the power at work within us. And Paul ends with worship. So where else can you go? I have no ability to save my kids. And I... will. I wake up every day in the night crying out to God for this. He's able to do far more abundantly than we ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations right? My kids, my kids' kids, they're kids' kids. Until he comes again. Let's pray.